welcome to PS, the Puget Sound podcast, where we're talking with members of our community about their Puget Sound experiences. I'm Elena Becker, and today my guest is Lily Price, a first year from Nevada. As always, the Puget Sound podcast is recorded and produced by Moonyard Studio. Here's Lily. Lily, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to have you. Um, I want to start out by saying just where in the world are you right now? Um, right now I'm at home in Lake Tahoe, Nevada. So I'm still West Coast, still in the same, same time zone, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. But I am at home. I forget that Nevada is the same time zone as the West Coast. Yeah, it's really... It, in my mind, I always forget that it is too because... I live in the Sierra Nevada, so I'm always thinking like mountains, mountain right. time. And then when right. it's Pacific time, it kind of throws you off a little. But yeah, we're still it, Pacific time. In fact, I was so convinced at one point in my life that Nevada was not Pacific time that I lost a bet about it. Because I thought the same thing. I thought there's mountains, like it's over. <laughs> it must be a different time zone. And I lost 20 bucks uh, because it is in fact Pacific time. Yeah, time zone is so weird, especially with Arizona, because they don't do daylight savings so sometimes I'm in the same time zone as them sometimes (laughs) it's an hour off you know I was the other day looking at um reservations in the Grand Canyon this is a total aside but you can ride (laughs) mules to the bottom of the Grand Canyon which seems like such an incredible thing to do and their website because parts of the Grand Canyon are in parts of different states and one of them is Arizona one of the FAQs is like what time is it when can I call your office? And you can do a little calculator to see what time it is in Arizona. So I think lots of people are confused. Yeah. Time zones are weird. When I was in high school, I played basketball. And because Mm -hmm. where I live in Nevada, it's like Northern Nevada. It's not like Las Vegas. It's very rural. And so we would have to drive like eight hours East straight across the state, practically into Utah. And then if you like cross the border, you would change into a different time zone. So we'd be staying in a hotel that was in a different time zone and then having to play a game that was in another time zone. And it was just very complicated trying to figure I, it out. I can't imagine that because I played sports through college. And for anybody who's not an athlete, just to catch people up, oftentimes when you're at a hotel for a game, you have really specific instructions about like meet the bus at this time. We need to be there two hours before a tip off. And if you had to be doing the math in your head for every clock you looked at, I mean, I imagine people miss the bus all the time. Yeah. Once my, my like room, it was me and my three friends and we get like this angry call from our coach and we're like, wake up to this call. It's like eight or whatever. They're like, where are you guys? And we're like, oh my gosh, we're so sorry. Like we totally got the time wrong because of the time change. And I mean, we made it to the game, but uh, we were in big trouble. (laughs) Well, I will say to you, I managed to do that in my athletic playing career without the excuse of time zones. <laughs> so uh, I have a lot of empathy for that. Um, in terms of being back in Nevada, how's it going? We're now a couple of weeks into the shift to online classes. I know as for everybody, like now pretty much any college student in the country, pretty much every high school student in the country and every instructor, it feels to me as someone who is not in class, like we've kind of made it over the hump of oh my God, this is what we're going to do. And into a little bit of a sense of what that will be like. Is that fair? Yeah, definitely. Um, At first, so the week before spring break, they said that we were doing online classes and we had the choice to stay on campus or to go home. And I booked a last minute flight home 
but I didn't bring any of my stuff with me because I wasn't totally thinking like, oh, after spring break, I'm not going back to campus. So I just went home and then did my classes and it was kind of a mess. Like half my classes were canceled. And then halfway through spring break, I realized, oh, I have to go back to Tacoma and get all of my textbooks and belongings. And so that was a little tough. I had to get some extensions on papers because I was like, I don't have the book (laughs) that I need to write this essay on. Um, But I went back and it was good. I saw some friends and being back home has been kind of an adjustment because I don't really have a space that's mine that isn't my room. And pretty much anyone is going to tell you don't do your work in your bedroom. Sitting on your bed. (laughs) Yeah. Like it makes it harder to sleep. So I I set up in my kitchen and put all my plants out that I drove home. And so I have a routine, but it's definitely hard because sometimes my dogs will like go running through the background or my mom. My mom is also a teacher and we have classes at the same time. So we have to like mute ourselves and make sure that we're not talking at the same time. Otherwise there's that feedback, but it's, it's been okay. What kinds of classes are you taking? Are you taking classes this semester that transitioned easily online or are you, are you in like a chemistry class or something? So most of my classes have transitioned pretty well. The one class, actually, it's kind of interesting. I have two classes that haven't transitioned super smoothly. The first one is my biology class. It's evolution, the diversity of life. So it's not as bad as like bio 111 would be where you're like in the lab, like grinding up cells, looking at DNA. Um, But it's definitely been harder. We have a lot of um, independent labs, which kind of bums Mm -hmm. me out because what I love so much about my lab is that my lab partner was actually my tour guide when I toured. And part of the reason that I came to Puget Sound was because I just loved Sydney. I was like, Oh my gosh, like I rated my colleges based on how much I wanted to be friends with my tour guides. (laughs) And I adored her. I was like, okay, she's so cool. This is where I want to be. And then she ended up being in my biology class and we're lab partners. So it was a total bummer not being able to see her but the labs work out fine instead of like going to Puget Sound and scooping up some plankton to look at. We just get pictures of them, do it from there. And then in my honors class has actually been harder to have online because a big part of being in honors is that there's the honors community. You live with the people right. you go to class with and like the discussions are with your friends. It's not just your classmates. And so that's been harder because it's all online and we're not really like joking around making fun of each other in the same way we were. But other than that, I have Psych 101 and then a religions class that have been been okay online. And now it's been, help me out, since been three weeks, four weeks of online class-ish? Yeah, I think so. I'm not sure. <laughs> Someone, I was talking to somebody the other day who said, and this was super interesting to me. I hadn't been thinking about this at all. Um, another student who said, of course, it's a bummer that we're all online, right? Like we get it. That's what has to happen. It's out of anybody's control, but it is a shame because it's more fun, as you just said, to be around your friends and sort of feel the like energy of a classroom. But he said that one thing he had noticed in his classes was that people who would maybe be more hesitant to participate in person we're more likely to participate in this format because there is sort of an equalizer of having to type in your question or having to unmute. And he said that he thought it was interesting. He went in like expecting that it would be um, kind of more tamped down for everybody. 
and instead saw that there was just like a shift in how people participated. Yeah, I definitely agree with that sentiment. When I was in high school, there were 70 kids in my grade. We all like knew each other from preschool. So I had been in class with like the same 20 kids my entire life. So I was super comfortable talking with them. And then when I went to college, I realized that I'm actually kind of shy and Mm -hmm. that like being in a classroom full of people that I didn't know everything about wasn't like where I was the most comfortable. And so I've definitely noticed, especially with myself, that um, when we can go into little like breakout rooms on Zoom, that just like chatting with these four people, getting to know them better has actually made it easier for me to talk. And today my mom was just sitting in the kitchen listening to me in class and she was like, you talked so much today. I'm so proud of you. (laughs) And I was like, I'm proud of me too. And so I actually think that people like me who are a little more shy and timid are going to go into next semester feeling more comfortable in their Mm -hmm. classes, having had this experience, being able to build our confidence. That makes total sense to me. I wouldn't have thought about it, but now that you say it, it makes sense as a real silver lining. Yeah, definitely. I also want to talk to you about, because you are in your first year of college, we were chatting about this a little bit before we started recording, um, just kind of what that transition was like coronavirus aside. I think the point you just made about going from a school where you knew everybody to a place where you were meeting a lot of new people is a really good one. Was there anything else like that where you got to college and sort of noticed something was different or felt yourself settle in or even had something and thought this is exactly the way I thought it was going to be and I love it? Um, When I was going to Puget Sound. For some reason, I was just not excited to go to college in general. Mm-hmm. It like, had nothing to do with Puget Sound as a school. I didn't particularly like high school, mm-hmm. but I was having a really good summer. I was really involved with the Humane Society in my town, and I was fostering puppies, and it was fantastic. And I was like, yeah, that would be a good summer. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't want to go to college. Like, I want it to be summer forever, and I want to live <laughs> with these puppies. And then I got there and everyone was so nice. And I remember my tour guide had said this on our tour. She's like, everyone at Puget Sound is so nice. My friend's older brother went here and he was a total jerk. And then he came out the nicest person ever. (laughs) And so then when I got there and experienced that, like, yeah, there really is a type of person who's into Puget Sound and it's just people who want to show you love. It was so comforting and it made the transition much, much easier than I anticipated. I was also blessed with the most amazing roommate ever. So props to the algorithm that figures that one out because she and I got along like so well right off the bat. We had like everything in common and the things that we didn't have in common didn't bother us. So it was, Mm. it was just a really smooth transition, which I was super grateful for. In terms of making that adjustment and like finding that you had a person and you liked your roommate and kind of once you knock off some of that like what I think of as the first two week anxiety like okay I got it I have some places to go I have some routine what did you notice about the way that kind of the the longer introduction to college rolled out in terms of the first couple of months did that continue to feel solid to you were there things that you noticed or experienced there that you weren't expecting um it, it worked out really well. I think it was really cool that Parents Weekend was in October. I felt like that was a really good play on the university's part because you have enough time to get settled and like have friends that you want to introduce to your parents. You're ready to show them like this new life you've created. 
but it's also for a lot of people the longest that they've been away from their family. And so it's nice to break it up and like have your parents come visit you and not have to like leave campus and disrupt that life. But you still get to see your family and um, address that like homesickness that a lot of people were feeling. I personally didn't get homesick like at all first semester. I have no idea why. I think I was just really fed up with high school. And it was interesting to watch my roommates and my friends right around Thanksgiving, like be really ready to go home. And I wasn't like that. I just really loved college. So I was super happy where I was. It it was pretty much a smooth transition all the way through, um, even over Christmas break when I thought a lot like of distancing would happen just because I hadn't really had a month long break, not seeing friends before in my life. That was a new experience for me. Everyone stayed in touch and it was really cool. And I feel like that kind of set me up for a positive Corona experience because we had all been like group FaceTiming over Christmas break. And so um, we're used to it. What would you say to somebody who is a high school senior right now and is kind of in the same space you were at, not super excited about college or maybe excited about the idea of college, but still kind of unsure about like what that will be like or where the best place is from your experiences. What does that person need to know or think about? Um, for, For me, I went to a very competitive high school. I was valedictorian. I always thought that I was going to go to some prestigious university and it was going to be super selective and competitive. And I was just going to continue with that trajectory for the rest of my life. And then my senior year, I kind of realized that that's, those weren't the people I wanted to be around. And that even if that was like the academic or the career that I wanted, it wasn't the people I wanted to surround myself with. And when I like thought down and listed out my values about what do I value most? And for me, that was giving back to my community and nice people. And then I tried to find specific things about each school that I was looking at that lined up with those. And so I was like, oh, I love my tour guide. I like that Puget Sound has, um, what is it called? Like logger day where you give back. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. Logger challenge. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's super cool. And so it's like a giving day for alums and students and parents and Exactly. Um, that there were these aspects of community service that were like integrated into the school. I thought that was really important for me. And so if I could give advice to somebody out there, I would say, try and figure out what your values are and match them up to a university. And also know that the most selective university you get into isn't necessarily going to be the best fit. It's so interesting that you say that because I very much feel that same way. I also went to like a very small, very competitive is not quite the right word, but like high achieving high school. And in a lot of ways, I think it was a school where despite the fact that the people were all really great, the sort of zeitgeist was that if you were successful, it was because you were doing everything better than everybody else. (laughs) There was kind of that same sense about going to college that like, the best option would be the one that the fewest other people could access or the one that was the most sort of by the numbers um, selective. And in some ways, I think that people use selectivity as a proxy for quality because you can measure it. Like it is something that you can point to and rank and look at. But I had a very similar experience to yours where I picked Puget Sound because it it sort of matched my value system. Um, 
in spite of the fact that I felt like a lot of people around me were telling me that that would not work. Yeah, I I think when I came to Puget Sound, in my classes were actually challenging. I was kind of surprised because mm-hmm. there's this narrative that exists that if your school isn't like only looking at your SAT scores and your GPA, then it's not going to be hard. It's going to be easy once you get there. And then when I arrived and realized that not only is this university accessible to all types of people and um, just like takes a holistic approach to the admissions process, but then is also very challenging. I thought that was beautiful because everybody has access to challenge themselves and to push themselves as far as they want to go. But there isn't like a name brand associated with it that, that like divides you from the rest of the world. Mm, That's a really good characterization. We, now that I professionally work in admission at Puget Sound and I've worked in admission also at more selective colleges, it's been interesting to see that process. When I was picking a school in high school, I didn't really know or understand selectivity as a concept. Like I think I was aware of, as I said, the sort of zeitgeist around it, but I don't think that it was something that I like could have articulated back. Um, and now as someone who decides who gets in to Puget Sound, it's an interesting experience to see that even though we're not admitting like only five or 10% of the people who apply, we admit more than that, right? That we are still... Everybody who is admitted to Puget Sound is really well qualified to go to college and is an interesting person with a lot to offer. And it's an interesting sort of like logical fallacy to suggest that if you're admitting, you know, half or more than half of your applicant pool, that somehow those people aren't qualified, right? Rather than that you're assessing each individual on their merits and on what they have to offer. Yeah. And that was something that actually like drew me to Puget Sound is because I live in such a small town, we don't really get a lot of college reps Mm. coming and talking to us. And I got an email saying that my admissions counselor was going to be in the next city over. So it wasn't even in my town, but it was the next city over. And I was (laughs) like, oh my gosh, like I hadn't even heard of this school, but I'm going to go meet with him because I'll never have this opportunity (laughs) from anyone else. And talking to him, he was like, we don't care so much about your GPA being perfect. We just want to know that you're a genuine, interesting person. And I feel like a lot of colleges kind of say that like, oh, we have a holistic approach. We're not zoning in on your test scores. But then actually coming to Puget Sound and realizing that I haven't met a person that I don't think is cool really showed the dedication to that sentiment and that they really are thinking about like, are you a good person when as much as you can get that from a paper (laughs) application, but there's a lot of thought going into who's coming to the school. And I just think it's really beautiful that they managed to like pick the best. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's cool to hear you say that you see that play out in your peers too, right? That it, that, that um, attitude towards what it means to assemble a positive community actually results in one at the end of the process. Yeah, there have definitely been people who I'm like, oh, I don't necessarily want to be your friend. But I think what was different about that experience at Puget Sound versus kind of anywhere else that I had been is that I didn't want to be their friend because we just expressed our like personalities differently. Like maybe they were a little louder than I am and I'm more quiet, but not because I thought that they were like a bad person or had like a 
like crooked moral compass. I just thought that, you know, they're a little different. What do bakeries, industrial design, waterproof notebook paper, and investment management for cryptocurrencies have to do with each other? Hi, I'm Ryan Del Rosario, Assistant Director of Admission and School of Music Admission Coordinator. All four of the things I listed are businesses that were founded by entrepreneurial Puget Sound alums, and you can find out more at pugetsound.edu slash stories. Now back to P.S., the Puget Sound podcast. One thing I also want to talk to you about um, in thinking about like expectations for college and then experiencing it is my understanding is that you intend to pursue a special interdisciplinary major. Um, And I'm going to ask you for folks who don't know to explain what that is in a second. But one thing I also want to talk about is um, it's not, not that it's unusual, but it's not the most common path to come in knowing I'm interested in this one very precise thing. And that's what I want to do. So what is a special interdisciplinary major and how did you know that that was what you wanted to do in college? So a special interdisciplinary major is something that my friends and I call the Build-A-Bear major. <laughs> so you kind of just, you have to come up with an idea and then you can take um, classes from pretty much as many different um, departments as you want. Typically it's two or three and you create this new field of study or you pursue an existing field of interdisciplinary study just based on all of these classes that you have access to. And I didn't come into college knowing that I wanted to do that. I, in high school, was thinking I wanted to double major with English and neuroscience, kind of wherever I went. And then when it came down to it, I realized that I cared a lot more about the people I was around than necessarily like having those degrees. And Puget Sound doesn't offer a major in neuroscience. And so I was like, well, that's fine. I'd rather be with the nice people. And so I came to Puget Sound and I was just kind of taking classes, figuring it out. And I, throughout high school, had kind of been pointed like unconsciously in the direction of monkeys a lot. I like don't really know how else to explain that. My junior year, we, for AP English, had to write a 10-page research paper about anyone. We could pick anyone we wanted. And I picked Beatrice Gardner, who did a lot of research with chimpanzees and teaching them sign language and behavioral learning with non-human primates. And then my senior year of high school, I had the wonderful opportunity to meet Dr. Jane Goodall. Oh, man. And it was it was so amazing. She came to my school and she spoke and she's like, I, she didn't go to undergraduate college. She just went to Africa and like started this project with her friend and then had to like quickly get a degree so that she could like keep getting funding. So I thought that was super interesting. And it kind of like made me think, oh, I don't necessarily need to know exactly what I want to do now. My degree might not point me exactly where I want to go. And then I realized that Puget Sound had a special interdisciplinary major program where I could create a degree. And so I chose evolutionary anthropology, which is an emerging interdisciplinary field that focuses on the biological and cultural explanation of people, I guess is kind of the best 
way to put it. So I didn't know coming into school. I was actually Googling Jane Goodall one day and looking at what universities she was directly affiliated with. And I saw that she had the Jane Goodall Research Institute at Duke. And so then I was like clicking through there and I found that they had an evolutionary anthropology undergraduate program. So then I kind of um, copied their curriculum <laughs> and it just was really cool. It's been something that's been really fun to make. I have like had to talk with a lot of professors I wouldn't have normally reached out to just because I needed their advice about like what classes they think I should take from each field. Um, I Something I think is so cool is my main advisor for that. You get to pick three advisors from each department that you are studying within was actually teaching a class that I sat in on when I visited Puget Sound. So I think that's really neat. Who is that um, professor? That's Dr. Colbert White. So I, when I visited, they wanted to send me to an honors, um, like one of the honors upper division discussions. And I was like, no, I want to, I want to go see psych 101 because I know that's going to give me a more like accurate and holistic view of who is at Puget Sound and kind of like what an introductory class is going to look like. And she was teaching that. And I told my mom right after, I was like, that, that's the smartest woman I've ever met in my entire life. And so now that she's my advisor, I'm super excited about that. So she's my psych advisor. And then I am working with Monica DeHart. In uh, I was a SOAN major in college. Monica DeHart is the best. She's so wonderful. I know everyone is so wonderful. And I haven't picked a biology advisor yet. I have some time to do that because I don't have to propose my major until the beginning of my junior year. Right. I'll probably do it next spring though, just to get it over with. Yeah. So a biology major or advisor, but that's where I'm at. And have you thought about um, kind of where you want to go, what you want to do? Do you envision the Jane Goodall model for yourself? So that's really funny that you asked because my mom always says like Jane Goodall was just a girl who loved animals and now look at her. And I love animals. And right now I'm thinking about vet school. Mm. I kind of came back to that idea. That's what I wanted to be when I was like five or whatever. And then I went on a whole new path. I was like, oh, I want to be a professor. I want to be a neuroscientist. And I was like, well, I feel like five-year-old Lily kind of actually had things a little more figured out than uh, a <laughs> 19-year-old Lily does. So I went back to that idea. <laughs> and that's where I'm thinking about going now I want to specialize into conservation medicine so I'm not necessarily interested in like cats and dogs but more mm -hmm. working with like marine life or whatever in a conservation manner and something that I've noticed is that if I don't decide to go to grad school there are a lot or vet school there are a lot of graduate programs in conservation medicine that are looking for interdisciplinary undergraduate work so they mm -hmm. kind they don't necessarily want to see that you built a special interdisciplinary major, but they want to see that you've taken a lot of classes from different subjects and find a way to um, connect them. And so I think that having a special interdisciplinary major as well as the bioethics emphasis kind of sets me up for where I want to be in life, leading like a balanced life between STEM and the humanities. Yeah, I think I'm almost certain that's true without knowing anything about these types of graduate programs. One of the things that I've learned in my life and in some ways since graduating from college is that no matter how carefully you plan, you cannot guarantee a next step. <laughs> and I think what that has really made me realize for myself is that to the extent that you can make choices that 
keep doors open for you that allow you to learn and to grow and to put ideas together in interesting ways, you are setting yourself up to go the places you want to go almost more than if you like fix your eyes on something that is eight chess moves away and hope that each of those moves works exactly the way that you think it will. Right. And that's something that I think is really interesting, even within the special interdisciplinary major is that you, to propose your major, you have to pick a list of classes and there's certain requirements like X number have to be at a 300 level or whatever. But then as you're completing this major, you can propose changes to it that the committee will approve. And so if you're, you know, your junior year and you're like, oh, I actually think that this class is going to be beneficial towards this major, you have the opportunity to change that. So even though you have to like have this major created by the time you're a sophomore, you can still make changes to it, which I think is really neat. And it's something that I've noticed in the people I've met and the professors that I've had at school is the professors that maybe like didn't go to undergraduate for what they're teaching now tend to be the more interesting ones that you, you seem to be a more interesting person if you don't take a linear approach to life and you kind of just figure it out as you go. Lily, I could talk to you about this all day. Um, but I want to be respectful of your time and the fact that it's a beautiful day. It looks like out that window behind you. <laughs> yes, <it's> gorgeous. <laughs> so we uh, wrap up all of our conversations by asking everybody the same four questions. Question number one is, what's your favorite place on campus? I honestly couldn't narrow it down to one, so I picked my top three. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> I think Todd Field is kind of a basic answer because if you're on Todd Field, you know that it's sunny, you know that it's a gorgeous day, and you're probably playing frisbee or like having a picnic. And so really there are no bad moments that happen on Todd Field, except for that it's kind of bumpy, so you could like twist an ankle or something. But that was my first choice. And then my more academic choice was Oppenheimer Cafe because I felt like that's where I get the most work done, which I don't know if that's like a shared sentiment across campus because I like to stare out the window and because the entire building is glass, you can watch people walking by, you can watch the rain drizzle down. It's it's very dramatic um, kind of music video vibes in there. So I really (laughs) like there. And then also something that I discovered towards the end of second semester was the logger lookout. It's just this little patch of stone by um, the site building. And that's where my roommate and I go to roller skate around in little laps. And it's where I learned how to do crossovers on my roller skates. And she learned how to do her spins. So that has a very special place in my heart as well. What are you reading right now? Um, This is actually kind of embarrassing, but I'm rereading these books that I read when I was in sixth grade about this girl who was an orphan in London and then she pretended to be a boy so that she could join the Navy and then she becomes a pirate. So it's called Bloody Jack and I highly recommend them if you're like a 10-year-old boy interested in historical fiction. (laughs) I don't know if I would recommend it to anyone my age at this point but I am rereading those currently. (laughs) That seems like a good, um, like, escapist. There's a lot of heavy stuff in the world. You have a lot of school to do. That seems like a nice contrast. Yeah, it's definitely been nice having, like, to think about school and then being able to just 
read about pirates for a couple minutes every day. It's a nice break. <laughs> What's the best place to eat in Tacoma? If you had asked me this at the beginning of the year, I would have said Indo-Asian. But when I went back up to get my stuff, I discovered Spanky Burger on 6th. And I didn't realize that they had the best milkshakes in the entire world. But they do because they let you add fresh fruit for free. So I basically spent every day that I was up getting my stuff, getting a chocolate milkshake and adding fresh raspberries to it. And lastly, Lily, why is Puget Sound special? Like I said earlier, I think it's the people that make Puget Sound so special. You don't really find that sense of community and just genuine kindness anywhere else, at least in my experience. I felt that everyone I talked to, whether they were a student or an employee or a professor, was just really ready to help me with whatever I needed. Um, a good friend of mine actually died right before school started, and I mentioned that to my professors, just saying like, oh, this has been a little difficult for me. And then almost immediately, our resident director reached out to me and was just like, I want to make sure that since you're living on campus, like anything that could impact you is going to be like as positive as it can be. And so I had a ton of support. And there's this whole network of people talking behind your back, <laughs> all saying like, how can we help you? Not like, oh, what do we do about her? But it's like, how can we help her? How can we make her succeed here? And it just really seems like everybody wants you to do your best. Lily Price, thank you for joining me on the Puget Sound Podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to PS, the Puget Sound Podcast. If you're interested in applying to or visiting Puget Sound, you can find out more at pugetsound.edu slash admission. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at UNIV, U-N-I-V, Puget Sound. I'm Elena Becker, and we'll see you next time for PS, the Puget Sound Podcast.